Gateway, my name is Audrey Mines and I have been coming to Gateway for several years. And today I'm going to be reading from Psalm 119 and I'm going to read three sections starting with verses 97 through 112. Oh, I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statues. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willingness praise of my mouth, and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your such deeds are my heritage forever, they are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Verses 144 through 152. Your statutes are always righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. I call with all my heart, answer me, Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your laws. Those who devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Verses 161 through 165. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise. I like one who finds a great spoil. I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Okay, so that is basically sections of a devotional song that uh, Audrey read for us this morning. But what we're going to do is extract from it, we're going to drill down on a principle that's underneath everything uh, the psalmist says. In fact, much of what the psalmists say in many places. We're going to look at this principle. It's a don't miss this principle. Now, a couple of things that I learned from 9 o'clock this morning this is a little bit dry, so I want you to do your best to stay engaged. There are going to be a lot of lists through it. You grab what's helpful for you. The other thing I learned is two people came to me after the service and said, well, that made me feel guilty. That's not the intention. Our intention is to inspire and encourage. This is going to be a reminder to most of you. That's, I mean, that's why you're here. Uh, for a few of you, this may be um, new information, so I've tried to make accommodations for that as well. Before we jump into the, the passage that Audrey read for us, I want to say welcome. My name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here at Gateway. We're really glad to have you. 
Uh, uh, today, officially, uh, if you're vaccinated, masks are optional. I love Jordan's comment, especially at the nine this morning. We live streamed the nine o'clock service and he reminded them that masks are required at home. And I wanna, I sent a uh, email this week and I really, I just wanna reiterate again, thank you for your patience with us. This has been a difficult year. All of us as individuals and families have had to tightrope walk the, the balance between you know, our, our duty to one another and our duty to ourselves, our uh, responsibility before God as worshipers and our responsibility to those in authority over us. We have tried to strike the balance here at Gateway. I know that at points some of you have disagreed with us wildly, about the, the balance that we try to strike. And I thank you that even in that, you were gracious and patient. I think there's something that uh, authentic Christian community offers. As I said in my email, that the world wants and needs. You know, there, there is enough bitterness out there. We don't need to add anything to that. And I appreciate you all's efforts at, at not doing so. So thank you for being with us in this. I think the light is at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we can now see it, um, not just for masks, but for social distancing as well. So stay with us. We'll keep you informed as we hear. All right, this is the third week in a series of conversations that we called How to Connect with God. How to connect with God. How to, how to have a relationship with Him. How to, how to experience Him and hear from Him and, and walk with Him. Uh, the first week we said that that such a connection is essential. Literally, we said we have to nurture a real and dynamic connection with God in order to have a healthy soul. It's essential. And then last week, we talked about how that begins. How do you start a connection with God? We, we had this lamp up here as an illustration in week one. We said uh, this lamp can't do what it was designed to do unless it's plugged into a power source. So the second week we asked, how do you get plugged in? How do you get started? And we went to Jesus' profound illustration that you must be born again. And we said, you cannot have a real and difference-making connection with God without a life-altering experience of God. And Jesus makes that experience available to us. Okay, so today we want to begin to get practical about how to do this connecting with God business what does it actually involve? How do you do it? How do you connect with God? There are two habits that are indispensable in developing a connection with God. The first and most important of those habits is to practice creative devotion. You have to have a devotional life in order to connect with God. We're going to talk about that for the next two weeks, but let me say up front, it's a practice. It's a, it's a discipline is required. It's a discipline, and you get better and better at it. In other words, it requires some discipline, and from experience, I've learned that you have to be creative with it. There are different things required for different seasons in our lives. The first and more, most important habit in developing a connection with God is to practice creative devotion. Now, practicing creative devotion itself has two very important parts or aspects or or disciplines that contribute. The first part is attention to God's Word. That's our focus today, and to help us drill down on that, we're going to look a little bit at what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. Attention to God's Word. That's our focus today. And if you miss everything else, don't miss this. A healthy connection with God 
requires a deep commitment to God's word. If you stray from that, you're going to find yourself disconnected. And you'll wake up one day and think, I just, I'm not feeling it. A healthy connection with God requires a deep commitment to God's word. This is true of any relationship. Those of you who know me know that I have been married to Diane for uh, a number of years. We got married uh, in our late 20s, so it's been seven or eight years now since Diane and I got married. And this is true of my relationship with Diane as well. I have to be committed to what Diane says. So when I come home at the end of the day, how is your day, Diane? I need to listen. I need to be committed to what she says. I need to not just be listening to Diane so that I can tell my stories. All of us know people like that. This is especially true in conflict situations. I learned early in my relationship with Diane that I had to stop the practice of listening to Diane in conflict just so I can make an argument against what she's saying. I wasn't listening to hear. I've got to, I've got to listen to hear. I've got to, H-E-A-R, I've got to pay attention to Di what Diane is saying. If I want a healthy relationship with her, I have to pay attention. And it costs me something. It costs time and energy. It costs me shutting off my own stories to hear her. I have to pay attention. And the same thing is true in our connection with God. To build a healthy connection with God requires a deep commitment to God's Word. I have to pay attention. Your laws, your statutes, your commandments, your precepts, your promises, etc. The psalmist is ransacking the language to find images and words to describe God's word. This is what he's talking about, his deep commitment, and it's seen here in three ways. And we'll cover those just as a way to drill down on this one principle. So three ways that we see the psalmist's profound commitment to God's word, just in this brief section we looked at. Number one, the psalmist has a deep emotional commitment to God's word. I love your law, he says in verse 97. How sweet are your words to my mouth, verse 103. They are, joy of, they are the joy of my heart, verse 111. I rejoice in your promises, he says in 165. And that one is particularly interesting, isn't it? That one speaks to commitment. He's not just saying, I find joy in your word, but he's saying, I place my joy in your word. I rejoice in your word. The psalmist had a deep emotional Commitment to God's word, a healthy connection to God, a healthy relationship with God requires that kind of commitment. All right, parenthesis. Pause there, we'll get back. We're going to make this stuff practical. But just real quickly, let me offer a parenthesis, especially for those of you who are pretty new and tiptoeing into this, or for those of you who are at the edge of faith this morning, if you're here with us, or uh, you've been here for a while, but you've You've experienced great doubt. Look, when we're talking about this, if we're honest, there are a couple of questions that inevitably present themselves to us. We don't have time to deal with these thoroughly, but I just want to be honest about them. Number one, come on, is it reliable? I mean, haven't, haven't scholars and scientists proven that the Bible isn't reliable? Second question, don't other religions have sacred texts, Dad? For example, Buddhism has the Mahayana Sutras and the Pali Canon, which supposedly includes the discourses of the Buddha. Uh, Islam has the Quran. Is the Bible special? All right, well, 
th this would require a very lengthy discussion. And by the way, there are many, many points to be made. So uh, let me just say, I'll, I'm going to talk about this in a very cursory way this morning, but I, I want you to know if you're a believer, you don't need to be intimidated by these questions. You don't need to be. I want to encourage you, do your own research. Go to YouTube, type in, is the Bible reliable? You'll come up with some really good stuff. I want to especially recommend to you Dr. William Lane, Dr. Josh McDowell, Pastor Tim Keller. You may also run into a, a professor named Dr. Bart Ehrman. He, he's a religion professor at the University of North Carolina, grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian college, through his academic studies, completely lost faith in the Bible, and he will give you the counter-argument. You don't need to be afraid of that, but don't stop there. Don't listen to him and go, oh my gosh, there are very reasonable counter-arguments to everything Dr. Ehrman says. Also, Right Now Media, if you're part of Gateway, uh, you have a you have a subscription, go to Right Now Media, type in, is the Bible reliable? You'll come up with some good stuff. There are great books about this as well. Let me make a few real quick comments. First of all, the Bible's reliable. There is mounting archaeological and documentary evidence that, that establishes a case for the reliability of the Bible. We can trust it. I'm just going to give you a few examples. I just Googled this. So I'm going to give you a few quick examples. There are many, just three. Number one. Uh, Licinius was a, a man mentioned in Luke 3, 1 as the tetrarch or the governor of a place called Abilene. Over the years, critics noted that another person is listed as the governor in, in this area. And so they considered this an error in the Bible until an inscription was found with the name Licinius listed as the governor of Abilene. And this discovery launched them into a series of... Uh, theories explaining this. Who cares? It, what it demonstrates is the Bible is an accurate account. Example number two, the Hittites. Critics throughout the 19th century claimed that the Hittites were mythical people. They're listed in Genesis 15, Exodus 3, Joshua 1, among other places. But at the end of the 19th century, uh, several monuments were discovered by an archaeologist named uh, William Wright, proving that they existed. Once again, making it clear that the biblical account can't be dismissed, even the details. Uh, example number three, Pontius Pilate. I've talked about this here at Gateway before. Many scholars doubted the existence of Pontius Pilate. This was true for over 100 years. And that all changed in 1961 when a piece of limestone was discovered with the name Pontius Pilate on it. It was discovered at an excavation site in... Uh, the Roman seaside resort in Israel of, of Caesarea. And when we were in Israel last year, we visited that site and we saw a recreation of that stone on the site. And also in 2018, they found 2,000-year-old copper alloy ring bearing the name Pontius Pilate. There is actual archaeological evidence that confirms the details of the Bible. Now, there are still archaeological mysteries out there unsolved. And, and when I hear about those, my typical response is, well, give it time. There is also the witness of the church. Look, it's a complicated, messy witness. I get that. But, but from the very beginning, from the very earliest centuries, there have been saints, from the, from the first century, there have been saints saying, wow, there's something remarkable about this document. And then there's the witness of our own hearts and lives and the impact that the Bible has made on us, and countless other saints.
All right, now I know that's dangerous. People, including us, can be deluded, and we convince ourselves of things that aren't true. But self-authentication, it can't be dismissed just because it's dangerous. The Bible really is reliable. If you struggle believing that, then do, do some research. Honestly, you may be shocked at what you find, and I'm going to give you an encouragement about why you should do research here. So why are you calling the Bible God's Word, Ed? How about all those other sacred texts? Again, we don't have time to fully deal with this, but let's touch on it because we're here. We're, we're talking about this today. So uh, let me just say three quick things. First, if this, this book is reliable, and I believe it is, but if this book is reliable, it tells a remarkable story that essentially places a demand on our lives, something that must be accepted or rejected. I've said before here at Gateway, the, the core of our faith is not religion. It's not religion, it's not moral teaching. The core of our faith is an historical fact. A guy claimed to be the son of God, he died, there was no pulse, they put him in the ground, and three days later, he rose from the dead. Now that fact may be false, you may not believe that, but that places a demand on our lives. You've got to believe this or reject it, because if you believe it, everything has changed. That's the story of the Bible. And it demands our attention. I think it's unique. Besides, the Bible has an incredible, unique history. It was written over hundreds of years by many different authors, and it tells a unified story. How is that even possible? Finally, I would add, let's remember, we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. And based on that, the Bible becomes profoundly significant because it is the sole source of his story. All right, in parentheses. At the risk of being arrogant, I believe the Bible is utterly reliable, and I believe it is uniquely God's word to us. And I'm convinced that a healthy connection to God requires a deep commitment to it. To it. So we've already observed that the psalmist had a deep emotional commitment to God's word. More than that, again, we're just drilling down on this same principle he also had a deep, willful commitment to it. He committed his will. He chose it. And he chose to commit himself to God's word on the front end. It was, it was if you will, a starting place for him in his connection with God. He chose to invest in God's word. I meditate on it all day long, he said in verse 97. I meditate on your statutes, he said in verse 99. I have put my hope in your word. He said in Psalm 149, I've made a choice to, to place my hope there. Seven times a day I praise you, he said in verse 164 in the context of a meditation on God's word. On the front end, the psalmist started, if you will, his relationship with God with this commitment to the word. Um, if you don't know my history with Diane, my lovely wife, uh, we met on a blind date, and we dated very seriously for two years. I knew that I loved her. Uh, I was leaving to move out of state to go to seminary, and, you know, there was some anticipation that I might ask her to marry me. Instead, I broke up with her. Uh, now, uh, there are a few things about that that you should know. Number one, uh, her friends and mine thought I was an idiot and they thought I was being irresponsible and terribly immature. God will judge them for that one day. But uh, I came to agree with them, 
Um, and the other thing that you should know is that, very discouraging to me, Diane considers that as one of the most important spiritual periods of her life, which is really shocking. Anyway, uh, something really healthy happened for me during that period. I realized something about love that I think built the foundation for us to have a, a, what has been an extraordinary and a, a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship. I learned that uh, a significant feature of love, something that underscores love, brackets love, it may be the box around love, is a choice. It's not just what I feel. I chose Diane. And what that did is that set me up with some level of maturity to choose her every day for the rest of our lives. The psalmist chose God's word. He chose to invest in God's word as a means, as the primary means of connecting with God. A healthy connection with God involves a commitment to God's word. We will choose it. Let's get really practical. At the risk of boring you, uh, how do we willfully choose God's word? And let me just give you four practices. I hope these are reminders to you, spur you on. The first four practices for how to choose God's word willfully on the front end. Number one, Bible study. Go find yourself a really good book. I'm using this right now in my own quiet time. It's, it's called Life Change Series. It's a study of First and Second Kings, and you read a passage, and then it asks you all kinds of questions, gives you little notes about it. Uh, several people on the staff, especially Jennifer Wing, have told me about all these Bible apps that they're using for Bible study. Go, go to the app store. Look up Bible study. Find one that works for you. Bible study. I have over the years, uh, at times, I'll take a large section of Scripture or a book, and I'll go through it, and I'll underline all the verbs. And then at the end of that, I'll say, well, what was the action and who was the actor? What's happening here? It's just a way for me to study it. Or, or I, I have um, circled the things that I'm doing and, and I've underlined the things that God's doing as I've, I've gone through a passage of Scripture. Or I've, I've taken a gospel account before, one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've taken actually more than one of them, and I've gone through it with a, with a little notebook, and I'm, I'm taking notes, and after I read a chapter, I read a section, and after each reading, I ask, what happened? What did Jesus do? What did that story say about Jesus' character? What did it say about his attitude? What does it say about his concerns? What does this tell me about Jesus? Bible study. Second, way to drill down on this is meditate on God's Word. Don't just study it, meditate on it. Pray a psalm back to God. So read a section of the psalms and then just pray that right back to Him. Use His words. Or, or take a verse and mull it over, over and over again in your mind. A, a third option would be memorizing Scripture, maybe a deeper way of meditating on it. Phil Salee, one of our elders, taught me a great trick about this. I now use my phone and I use the voice app, and I will, whatever verse or passage I'm trying to memorize, I'll read it into my phone. And then all day long, I can just turn it on and, and listen to myself and recount it. It helps me memorize it. Memorize God's Word. A fourth option is just read it devotionally. So you read a section, pause at the end. What you got for me, God? And listen. 
Uh, there's a, uh, the Episcopalian Book of Common Prayer. It's their, their book of worship order. At the very back of it, they have a lectionary, which goes through in a year most of the scripture, and each day it lines up an Old Testament, New Testament reading, and a Psalm reading. So there have been years through my life that I have used that for a year or more at a time, and I wake up each morning and I do the Old Testament reading. It's a chapter or two-thirds of a chapter, and then I do the New Testament reading. Then I read a Psalm, and at the end, God, why did you have those readings line up today? What are you saying to me? So just read it, larger section of it. Read it devotionally. Willfully choosing it. All right, uh, let's review. The, most, the first and most important habit in connecting with God is practicing creative devotion. Okay, devotional practice must begin with a deep commitment to God's Word. That's the starting place for having this creative devotional life. And then, uh, through a God-inspired example, uh, the psalmist shows us that that commitment is a deeply held emotional commitment. It's also a willful commitment on the front end. And finally... It is a will, this commitment to God's word is a willful commitment on the back end as well. Meaning, the psalmist was willing to commit to God's word. He, he was committed to obeying it. Not just paying attention to it, but doing what it said, ensuring that his life reflected what God's word said. If we want to ha have a healthy connection with God, we will be willfully committed to his word. On the back end, we will obey, or in the words of the psalmist, I have kept my feet from evil, verse 101. I haven't departed, verse 102. Then in verse 106, I've taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. Verse 109, I won't forget your law. Verse 112, my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. The psalmist was committed by an act of his will to do what the word, God's word instructed him to do. He chose to obey. Now, uh, let's make sure we remember that we don't obey God's word to get in good with God. We don't obey to earn God's favor. We don't obey to get God to love us. In fact, it's very nearly the opposite. We experience his love and favor, and then we're inspired to do good. Religion says, I've got to be good so God will bless me. But the good news of Jesus says God blesses me in knowing him and then I am equipped and inspired to do good. So can we make this practical? How do we choose to will, willfully invest in God's word on the back end? How do, we, how do we do better at obeying? Are there things that help with this? And for most of us, this is the $64,000 question. But let me give three really quick helpful hints. Number one, you have to know his word. To obey his word, you have to know his word. Number two, accountability helps. You need a workout buddy. We, we said a few weeks ago, there are several passages in the letter to the Hebrews that, that demonstrates to us this business of trying to be like God is a community project. You can't do this alone. Tell someone what's going on in your life and be accountable to them. Tell them what you're trying to do in the Word and be accountable to them. And, and the last helpful hint is confession. We get a mulligan every day. Help me today, Lord, because yesterday I didn't do so well. A healthy connection with God requires an emotional and a will-filled, a volitional commitment to God's Word. So to help us with our motivation, let's ask, why was the psalmist so committed to God's word, both to paying attention to it 
and to obeying it? And why was his commitment so passionate and so central to his life? How did he get to that point? Well, he doesn't really give us a full answer here, but we do get hints, right? So just a couple of things. Number one, just from the section that Audrey read for us, because the psalmist knew that God's word is fixed, certain, and secure. That's the first thing that motivated him. Your righteousness is everlasting, he said in verse 142. Your statutes are forever right, he said in verse 144. This theme appears many times in this song and throughout the rest of the psalms. And another thing that I think motivated the psalmist here, because he knew God's word is so beneficial to him. He finds himself wiser than his enemies, he said in verse 98. He found more insight and more understanding in verse 99 and 100. God's word gave him guidance in verse 105. Your word's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I can see where I'm going. And then in verse 165, he said, I gain great peace through your word. It's just a partial list from a few of these verses from this psalm. And the lesson we cannot miss is that a healthy connection with God requires a commitment to God's word. Okay, deep breath. Let me make uh, two concluding observations for us. Observation number one. With all this talk about God's word, we shouldn't skip uh, the startling conclusion that Jesus' friend John comes to after experiencing Jesus' life and ministry. John begins his biography of Jesus with an amazing, mind-blowing note. I want you to hear this. In light of everything that we've been saying, listen to what John, listen how John started his biography of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Down in four, verse 14, listen to this. The Word, the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's word in all of its majesty and in, in all of its security and all, with all of its benefits, it materialized in the form of Jesus. That's why the first followers ended up not admiring him, but worshiping him. Concluding observation number two, let's don't leave today without trying at least to eliminate uh, some of the things that are going to, some of our responses in, in light of a lesson like this. So I'm, I'm going to give us three, let's please eliminate those statements. Number one, let's please eliminate statement is, I, I feel so guilty. I'm, I'm just not, I'm not good enough at this practice. I want to say, stop it. That's about you. That's not about God. God is nowhere saying to you, oh, you're not measuring up to my standard, close but no cigar. That, that, that guilt, is, it, that's about you. Uh, God is offering a deeper connection to us. He is offering great benefit to us through his word. He wants you to take advantage of that. Don't think of this in terms of expectation Think of it in terms of an offering. And when you blow it, welcome to the club. Today, you get a mulligan. Second, let's eliminate it statement is, you know, I'm just not the Bible study kind of person. I'm not that guy. 
or I'm not that woman. Especially if you're fairly new to faith, this may be some of what you're feeling. Stop it. First of all, what do you think the Bible study kind of guy looks like? If you want a healthy connection with God and you desperately need one, then you will build the practice of being in his word. If, if you'd like some ideas, by the way, about how to start a practice of being in his word, I'll post some stuff on mygateway.life next week uh, to give you some ideas about how to get started. Third, let's eliminate its statement. I, I don't know. I, I just can't do this. Let's eliminate that. Stop it. Look, if you... If you're thinking, I just can't do this because the Bible is confusing, we all think the Bible is confusing. That's why it's a habit and a discipline. It takes work and it does get better. If you think at times that the Bible is boring, so you just can't do that. We all think this is boring in places. Again, what happens over, you'll find over time as you, as you study, as you build this practice, you'll know a little piece of the Bible here and You'll know a little piece of the Bible here, and then you'll spend some time, you'll decide, I'm going to do it up. You'll spend an intensification time, you'll do some study of his word, and, and a big giant piece will fall together, and it will fit several other pieces together, and a whole new vista will open up to you. Stay with it. I want you to know, first of all, it gets better. I also want you to know that once in a while, for me, others are better at this than I am, but for me... Uh, I enjoy reading the Bible. Often, I read the Bible and I close it and I'm off on my day. And maybe I think about it. Uh, sometimes I don't have the time. And sometimes I'm struggling. I want to get started. I got stuff I need to do, but so I go, we'll do some devotional time. But once in a while, I'm in my room, and I open up the Bible, and magic. He speaks, and it's incredible. And you don't get that unless you make the investment. All right. Instead of starting with this, we're going to end today. We're going to end by reading God's Word about God's Word. We're going to read together a section of Psalm 119 that Audrey has already read for us. And as we do choir, let's lock in. Psalm 119, let's stand together and read verses 97 through 103 and verse 112. God's word on God's word. Let's read. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Pause for dramatic effect. Let's keep reading. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. A healthy connection with God requires 
a deep commitment to God's Word. This is how we build ourselves and our relationship with Him. 